So, we're going to wrap up chapter 10 today of Joshua. How exciting is that? It's only taken us 80 messages. <laughs> right on. Is that crazy or what? It is what it is, though, man. God's showing us some incredible stuff, so I'm excited to show you what God has shown us as we close out. So last week, we were in Joshua chapter 10, verses 30, uh, 33 through 39, and that message was called More Than Conquerors part two. And what we were doing is continuing looking at the transition that was taking place as the Israelites and Joshua being who's leading them were literally shifting back to a path of success. Now, this was a path of success that they'd started on back at Jericho when they were doing exactly what God told them to do. And what we saw was that was nothing more than a fulfillment of a promise that God had given them. As they entered into the promised land, God had told them, listen, when you get there, this is going to be the way it's going to work, the way it's going to work out. And what we noticed here, and what's important for us to remember, is that the success that the Israelites are experiencing is not because of them, okay? It's not because of their skill. It's not because of their talent. It's not any of those things. It's because they're faithfully following and doing what God told them to do, but the reward they're getting, the victory they're receiving, is because of God. Joshua 1, verse 5 said this. This is when they first enter the promised land, or before they even entered in. There shall not any man be able to stand against thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And because of their faithful obedience to what God has commanded them to do, the Israelite army has laid waste to every enemy that has stood before them. They have absolutely devastated them. God is bringing them through to the victory. And what we took note of this last week was really paying attention to the way as the Israelites did what they did, what was being displayed for us in their willingness to stand against evil was we first took note of the fact that they were sober and they were vigilant, right? They were ever aware as they went forward. And it was in this state of ever readiness, this state of preparedness for every eventuality that we noticed and saw what you and I should be doing. We should be paying attention to the way they function because you know what? They weren't taken by surprise by any evil that came its way because they were looking for it, right? And this is what we're supposed to do in our lives. We're supposed to be searching our own hearts, being proactive in our search for sin, proactive for wickedness that allows its way to work its way into our lives. And in doing so, what we do is we protect ourselves from the power of temptation. But you know what? We also can utterly destroy the impact that wickedness can have in our lives. The more surrendered we are to God, the more godly we can live. So it's a matter of allowing ourselves to do so. Then we also notice the relentlessness that they had as they advanced and took new ground for God. Not only were there was, um, and understand, because there was an issue. They didn't procrastinate. Okay? They did that day what was intended to be done. And what happens in our lives is you and I have a tendency, unfortunately, to procrastinate. What we could do today, there'll be a whisper in our ear, you could do it tomorrow. And you're like, it's a good point. I forgot about that. Tomorrow's going to be great. That definitely won't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow for sure. And then sometimes we have plans of things we're going to do tomorrow that get put off to the next day and the next day, and then they never get taken care of. Like starting that diet, right? Man. Before Christmas, I'm really going to get svelte. This is going to be it. I'm going to be ripped. But then Christmas comes, and you're like, okay, after Christmas. No, after New Year's. After New Year's. That's when I'm going to start, right? <laughs> it's just who we are, right? And so there's this natural tendency for us not to, to do what we should do. And you understand, what happens? The devil wants to keep us in bondage to sin for as long as he possibly can. But we know that the heart of God is that we would be liberated immediately. Remember, we looked last week as we talked about when Jesus was speaking to those that were considering salvation, those who were considering their eternity. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, it says this, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time past, and a time accepted, and in the day of salvation has occurred thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day 
Listen, deal with your sin today. Then we discussed the fact that Joshua and the army were tireless as they just kept taking new ground. They just kept advancing. They were unwavering and wanting to accomplish what God's will was for them. They wanted to do what God had commanded them to do, which was to conquer the land. And what we recognized in them is the same motivation that should be driving us as we move forward in our promised land. Now, for us, our promised land is a, is a faithful walk with God. It's a peace with God. It's, it's, a, it's a, a place of, of, of reverence with God. It's this place of communion with God. That's what we're shooting for. So we look at their motivation, which was, listen, you know what? We're going to just keep doing what we're supposed to do. We're going to do things right, no matter what. And understand, it is that mindset that allows you and I to deal with the short-term struggles that life's going to throw at us. Because recognize the fact, if I don't have a long-term perspective, I'm going to get stopped by the obstacle that's before me, right? You're always looking, when you drive a car, you don't look at the ground in front of you. You look at the horizon, right? And so what we're always supposed to do is we're supposed to look to the horizon, but most of us get stopped by whatever. If you're walking on a path, and you're walking on the path, but you're just looking at the ground, and you walk up, there's a rock in the way, you'll just be like, rock. It's a rock, all right, yeah. And you'll spend all your time and attention stopped here. Instead of if your head's up and you walk in, you go, boom, you're like, yeah, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Get around that. Just keep on going, yeah. right? But we live our lives so many times being stopped by obstacles, and we focus all of our attention on the obstacle, and we lose sight of where it is we're supposed to go. God's saying, hey, listen, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul talking about this. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. Because understand, we all have a past. We all have failures. We've all done things that we regret. We all look back and go, man, what a mess. And we could spend all of our time and attention telling about all the things we did wrong. But what does that do other than anchor us to the past? We can't go back and change it. So what we can do is change the day to come. So what Paul's saying is, listen, though I could look back in my past and say, you know what, man, I was a murderer. I was a terrible guy. I did awful things. Though I did all that awful stuff, you know what? The one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If our life is to honor God then quitting is not an option for us, right? That's not an option. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just keep doing the right thing. Though it will be hard and though there will be opposition, the, the voice in the back of your head is going to tell you, you should just quit, you should just quit, you should quit. Put it off to tomorrow. No, we should do it today. Just keep doing the right thing. Then we close out last week's message. I'm getting fired up. We're just in the introduction, man. Yeah, right on. Uh, so we closed that last message, and then we talked about the last point was this, trusting God's guidance, even though the, little, the Lord directed them through a very circuitous route, kind of through southern, through southern Canaan. What happened was the fact that they didn't complain. They didn't question like you and I would normally would. We would question, why does it have to be this way? God, it doesn't make sense. I want it to be a different way. But they didn't question, just like they, were doing, they got to Jericho. God said, you're going to do all this crazy stuff to have the walls come down. And you know what? They just said, okay, let's just do it. Seems crazy. Don't understand why we're doing it, but let's just do it. That's the same thing here. They faithfully followed God's plan, whether it aligned with the way they were thinking or not. Now, as we close out chapter 10, what we're going to see is the faithfulness that they displayed so far is going to continue as southern Canaan is going to be completely conquered. What we're going to notice today in verses 40 through 43 is basically a summary of what was accomplished in this leg of the campaign in order to fully possess the promised land. And we'll see as Joshua recounts their journey, 
is that as they went through this portion, we're going to notice here that they were complete in their purge. They were determined in their purpose. They were deliberate in their pace. And as a result of that, because they did what was right, you know what? You're you're going to find that they were fortified by God's presence and they're going to be restored by God's peace. And so let's jump into it as we wrap up chapter number 10 in our message titled A Tale of Triumph. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for already, uh, Lord, what you've shown us in the book of Joshua has been absolutely incredible. What a story. The Bible, we, we titled this entire series of this message, of this message series, A Life Lived for God. And what an example it is for us. May that be said of us. God, I do pray that, uh, Lord, you'd help me to get out of the way, remove the human element of this message. You know, I can stumble and get in the way. Lord, just would you put my stumbling tongue aside and Lord, help me to speak the truth that you would have me to speak. Uh, God, I know you've spoken to me, and I'm asking you now to speak through me, uh, Lord, that your words might be heard in our ears. And Lord, not only in our ears, but in our hearts, that it might change us. Thank you for today. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 10, verses 40 through 43. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills, and of the south, and of the vale, and of the springs, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as long as God of Israel commanded. As Joshua and Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea unto Gaza, unto the Aut, and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. For all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, unto unto the camp to Gilgal. As I mentioned before, listen, this is basically a walkthrough. As we're studying this historical recording of these battles, they're real battles. These things took, about, took place about 3,400 years ago. These would have taken place in southern Israel in what would today would be the Gaza Strip and also the lower part of the West Bank. But as we look at these old historic record, what we have to realize is there's modern lessons for you and I to learn, okay? Not only in understanding the events that took place, but also the tactics that were employed in order to bring the victory. And what we'll find as we work through this, now there's, when we look at them, they're going to be a physical example. So the battles they fought were mostly physical. You and I, most of the battles we're going to fight and what we're going to be referencing are spiritual, okay? But what we realize is the tactics that are employed to win each of them are the same tactics. If we'll do the very same things that they did, we will get the same results. So God's constantly showing us through these Old Testament pictures that the path to victory is the same for both. And so in looking at the conquering of, the southern, Can- of southern Canaan, we'll examine the fact that Joshua and his men were complete in their purge, verse number 40. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills and of the south, And of the vale and of the springs and all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed. Now, as we've seen, these victories were enabled by God, but they were actually fought and handled or or accomplished by God's men being where they were supposed to be. This God's telling, what we see here is God's telling us about the fact that they were dealing with evil throughout the promised land in this southern part. Israelites, the Israelites did not do a half-hearted job of addressing wickedness. They did not pick and choose what was dangerous and what wasn't. They dealt with every bastion of wickedness that existed. First, he lists the country of the hills. Now, this country of the hills would include the cities of Debir and the cities of Hebron. This is on the western side of Canaan, the lower part, along with any settlements in that region. Then we notice that he talks about those of the south. Okay, He then mentions those of the Vale. Vale was another word for lowlands. So the lowlands, this would have been the area west of the mountains near the coast of the Dead Sea. Then we see him list an area referred to as the springs, the springs. Now, this would have included Eglon, Lachish, and Libna on the east coast. 
What's being described for us is that every wicked settlement, listed or unlisted, was utterly and completely destroyed. Verse 40 says this, He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed. And if we correlate this to ourselves and our desire to fully possess our promised land, right, a place of peace with God, how thoroughly, how thoroughly have we dealt with wickedness within ourselves? Those little areas, right? Have we done an exhaustive search? Have we been diligent in digging, turning over every stone, looking into every dark little corner of our hearts? For you see, wickedness can hide in plain sight, masquerading itself even as righteousness. Because I want you to consider this. Now, I meet somebody, and I got a little issue with them, but they don't know it. Because you know what? When they come up, I'm like, hey, brother. Man, what's up? Good to see you. Yeah. And I walk away, and I go like this. Am I the only one who's ever done that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guess what? That's wicked. That's wicked. Right? Oh, man. When I'm like, man, your God is good, brother. Well, I trust God. Oh, man, you better believe it. Trust God. God is good. He's taking care of me. Yes, he has. And then in my private time, I rehearse in my mind all the things about my life that I'm dissatisfied with. All the issues that are there. What about this? What about that? What about this? Right? Or, or I say, you know what? I believe God. God holds tomorrow, and I'm great with that, man. Praise the Lord. But I live a life that's marked through fear and worry. That's wickedness, right? It masquerades itself as righteousness because it's not what we say. It's the intent of the heart, right? When God, when, when Samuel goes, right? And he sees David. What does he hear? He says, you know what? Uh-uh. You guys judge from the eyes. He says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. God looks at our intentions, right? To look at a woman in lust, he says, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. And see, we're not so worried about our hearts so much as we're worried about the things that people see. And we've got to be careful that we're not doing wickedness and telling ourselves that we're in fact being, being righteous. Joshua and the Israelites, guided by God, completely purged southern Canaan of every remnant of evil that was there. And as we work our way into possessing our promised land, which is that peace with God, listen, we've got to be exactly the same way, doing the very same thing. We've got to be purging out every aspect of, of, negative, of, 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 of negativity or wickedness that's in our hearts, systematically addressing these things that are not pleasing to God. We know what's not pleasing to God. You know if Jesus was standing beside you and you just felt his radiant power, you were like, I'm not saying that. Nope. <laughs> I want to, but I'm not going to because I know he's right there. Right? <laughs> Guess what? He's right there. <laughs> we don't get away. <laughs> Listen to what Paul says about this in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 15. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, beloved brethren, man, that didn't come out, right? Wherefore, my beloved as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Listen, when I was there with you guys, you guys did great. You were, you were really honoring God. But now much more in my absence. Now it's on you, okay? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There are people that will tell you that that is about gaining your salvation. That is not what that's talking about. This is not about gaining salvation or maintaining our salvation. This is the process of sanctification. What he's saying is, now that you're saved, what's it going to look like? You work it out. You see what it appears, right? Our faith should appear through our good works that glorify God. Verse 13, 
For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Surrender to the Lord. Walk with God and watch Him do great things. If we'll surrender to the leading of God's Spirit within us, guess what? He will shine out of us. That's just a natural thing that happens. Verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Ouch. That's tough, isn't it? Don't we like to just... Just a little complaining. Isn't that fair? Reasonable? Verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, which is where we live today, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Don't look like the world. Come out of the world. Do something different. Make yourself different. Understand, the Christian life is a refining process. And we use that word refiner, right? A refiner's fire. You'll see it in Scripture time and again. There's Old Testament examples of it. What's a refiner's fire? That's when you like it. See, it's like you have gold. You have 10 karat gold. It's got a bunch of impurities in it, right? That's what you want to, like a, like, a, like a 10 karat gold. Guess what? It's really hard. But you ever touch 10, 24 karat gold? You can take your thumb and use your mark, mark it with your nail. It's soft. Because you know what? All the impurities that make it hard have been burned out of it. You don't pluck it out with your fingers. They put it in the heat. And the hotter it gets, the more impurities burn out. The metal starts to let go of what it was holding onto. Okay? Now, God gives us that example. The Christian life is a purifying process. And as we let go of those things in our lives that are not godly, listen, the Lord's light and the Lord's love, guess what? They just naturally become evident in our lives. Allowing us to become what? A representative. A true representative of our holy God. That's what people are supposed to see. That's what a Christian is. It's to be Christ-like. So someone who's saved, who's not living as a Christian, guess what? They're not living by God's word. They're not a Christian. Well, you could, be, you could call yourself that. But a Christian is an earned title. When we find it in the book of Acts, you'll find that it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. They didn't choose the title. They were actually being made fun of, and they took it as a badge of courage and said, okay, you see Christ in me? Well, praise the Lord. So we, but we claim it as a badge, as a badge of honor. But listen, you know what? We don't claim it. We should earn it. We can willingly let go of, of wickedness in our lives, or God gives us a choice. We have free will. We can hold on to it. It's up to us, right? If we choose the latter, it is only a matter of time before you start to feel the heat. <laughs> because what happens is because of our sinful choices, God places us in the refiner's fire. Now, how does this fire appear? What's its purpose? Well, you know what it does? It purges out sinfulness. It purges out wickedness. As the heat increases, our sinfulness rises to the surface and we're forced to deal with it. Right. Right? That's the way the process works. Now, how does it appear? Physical illness? perhaps. can appear as financial struggles, family troubles between a husband and a wife, maybe with kids, personal unrest, mental torment, somebody who struggles with things in their own mind. Whatever thing God needs to use to draw us to holiness, because God knows the weakness that we have. And what will happen is God's going to work in our lives to draw us to Him. For each of us, it's different. There's different things that will break our will. There are people in your life that you're praying for right now. And you've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. We want to be people's Holy Spirit. We want to say, well, you know, if I just say the right thing, if I just do the right thing, if I just show up at the right moment when they're in the midst of that sin and I call them out, maybe they'll dress it and deal with it. You know what? They're not going to. It's not going to work. Our job. We fight our battles. 
our knees. God does things we can't do. He works on hearts that we cannot even touch. Our words harden them. And God words, God's word softens them. The refiner's fire makes that metal softer and softer because it burns out all the junk, right? How beautiful that is. The process is in Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 6 through 11. And when it fins, and as it goes through that process, as this out wraps up in verse number 11. God, we call it chastening in the Bible. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. That's a tough situation, man. Being in that refiner's fire is not fun. Been there plenty of times. It's hot. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth. Notice the yield. What comes out of the fire? The peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Those that went in the fire came out better than when they went in. We can either willingly purge iniquity out of our lives like Joshua and the Israelites do, and as he did right here, or we can defiantly hold on to our sin and cause God to force it out of us. The choice is ours to make, right? It's ours to make. Remember what Paul said, Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as my, and in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And notice the words that come after that. With fear and trembling. Your accountability to God. You figure out how you want this thing to go. Do you want it to be easy? Or do you want it to be hard? The text reveals to us that Joshua wanted to take it the, the easier route. He'd already gone the other route. It didn't work out so good. He didn't enjoy that too much. He's like, you know, let's just do it God's way. So we see here the Israelites. Next of all, they're determined in their purpose. It says, as the Lord God of Israel commanded. Joshua and his men have determined in their hearts. They've determined in their hearts to trust God's will, to trust God's guidance, to trust God's word, and to trust God's man. They are following Joshua, and they're trusting what he tells them. And can I tell you, the same thing should be true of us. Now, I am certainly no Joshua. I'm just going to go up in front and tell you that. But I am the man that God called to lead this body of believers. And I'm going to do the very best that I can to help us to reach that promised land. Right? Because God can do that in our lives. God can bring us to a place where we can actually conquer things in our lives that we never thought we could. We can attain our promised land. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And if you're following me, listen, you're not following me, you're following me as I follow Christ, man. That's it. God's word has to be the rudder of our church, the rudder of our lives. It directs us in every choice we make, every step we take. And you know what it does? It points us to godlessness or to godly godliness. It points us to holiness. It's constantly redirecting us back to where we should be. And see, if that will be our focus, that's got to be our focus. The focus of the church can't be politics. It cannot be societal change. It cannot be saving the planet. We're not here to do that because that's not God's focus. God's focus is on saving souls, by the way, right? Churches have lost sight of why it is they even exist or why they're on this planet. Listen, if it's about changing the world, guess what? You can go out and hang it up because it ain't going to change. This place is going straight into the, uh, the pooper, let's say, as an example. <laughs> it ain't going good, right? We know it's going to wax worse and worse. That's just the result. That's just what's happening. Everything is dying. Everything's degrading. Everything's getting worse. And it's not going to get better until God comes back and restarts this bad boy. Until that day, man, we've got to focus on what it is we're called to do. 
fulfilling the commandment of God. It's defined for us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's the Great Commission, which is about reaching the world. That's why we're here, reaching this broken and godless world with the story of His love, which He just happened to give us in an amazing picture on an old rugged cross. The love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How amazing is that? It's what the story, it's what the world needs to know. So they're complete in their purge. They're determined in their purpose. Next we see that they're deliberate in their pace. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea unto, even unto Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at, at one time. Verse 41 is basically saying, listen, from the north to the south to the east to the west, this region has been completely exposed of its evil, confronted and destroyed. They're taking advantage, taking advantage of the opportunity that they have been given, their mandate that God gave them. And not only that, not only have we to, are we to do the exact same thing, and not only are they doing the same thing, but you know what's also interesting is the fact that the sense of urgency that they have. They are driven to do what God has told them to do. Listen, now for us, Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 16. Let me get a sip of water. This is a long stretch. Here we go. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Here's the mandate. This is the expert. This is what you're supposed to do. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. First thing. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. That's where our hearts should be. Amen. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these, thing, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. The things of the world, we're supposed to separate ourselves from them. The destructive works of unrighteousness, they're not for us. Be, be, says, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness. This is who you used to be. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Another mandate. Be there followers of God. What does that mandate look like? Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. You know what circumspectly means? Look here. Look inside your heart. Search to make your promised land clear. Not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. In this age of grace, God's given us a window of opportunity to reach the lost world with the gospel. Listen, are we, do all, are we doing all that we can do? To bring people that are trapped in the darkness into God's glorious light. Are we giving it our all? That should be the focus of our lives. Our reason 
for living. Because can I tell you this? That window is going to shut before we know it. Any moment. Are we redeeming the time like Joshua and his men are doing here? As we mentioned last week, we're not promised tomorrow, right? None of us are. The Bible says that life is but a vapor to be here for a short time and then it vanishes, vanishes away. Paul's words should echo in our hearts and in our minds every single day, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you guys have watched and looked at the internet in the recent couple of weeks? Would we agree that the world is evil? It is consumed with evil and confusion. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, and yet we live in a generation where confusion rules the day. And it's actually the goal, which is amazing. But we notice this. Joshua and his men, they took full advantage of the moment that was given to them. Verse 42 says, And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time. God opened the door, and Joshua ran through it. Amen. So, G, we see, because Joshua and his men were complete in their purge, determined in their purpose, deliberate in their pace, they were fortified. They were fortified by God's presence. Because listen what it says here in verse 42. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That's how verse 42 ends. How cool is this? He says, he's telling us that the reason Joshua and the Israelites could do what they did is because God was fighting for them. <laughs> God was fighting for them. It was because God was fighting their battle. He was on their side against evil. He was literally strengthening them, protecting them, and encouraging them. Can I tell you, that's what God wants for us. You're going to go out in the world, and the world is going to kick you in the face. It's going to knock you to your knees. It's going to push you down. It's going to try to discourage you, try to break your will, try to get you to give in and say, you know what? God doesn't love me. God's not on the throne. God doesn't care. Tomorrow's going to be a nightmare. God has no purpose, no plan. And I can tell you, listen, having been in situations and circumstances that seemed incredibly dark to where you just can't see any, any sense in it, that's easy to believe. Has any of us ever faced something that you just felt like, you know what? There can be no good purpose for this. Why on earth would this happen? The death of a child, the loss of a parent, career that's destroyed, reputation dragged through the mud, whatever it is, how in the world could this possibly be good? And the thing is not good, but God can work through it and do good. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. For those that love God, that are called according to His purpose. His purpose is that our life would glorify Him. That's always what He's pushing us towards. The devil wants to discourage and destroy. The Bible says that I have come, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and that you might have life more abundantly. Right? That's the purpose. That's why we're on this earth. And so as we're dealing with these issues and we're looking at what they're dealing with, we find out as they're going through their battles that God's with them through it all. He's strengthening, encouraging, and protecting them. He's used them as instruments of righteousness to confront wickedness. And He intends to us, intends to use us in the very same way. That's why we're here. Listen. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, you know Christ, you're a believer. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself 
by Jesus Christ. Reconciled means restored back into that relationship. And hath given to us, listen, the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile others. To wit that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto Himself. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. Right? He was reconciling the world back to Him. Notice the next part that he says this, not imputing the trespasses unto them. He was not putting the guilt of their sin on them. He was saying, I'll take that guilt on me. I'll impute their righteousness onto me to set them free. And hath hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we see a ministry of reconciliation, ministering to others, and we see a word of reconciliation. Can I tell you what that word is? It's right here. How do you reconcile a broken person who's been destroyed by the world back to their loving God? You reveal God in His Word. Truth, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. People don't turn to this book because guess what? They're told it's not true. Or they're told, you know what? There's, yeah, I know there's 450 versions, but they're all God's Word. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I could say the same phrase 450 different times and it's all exactly the same. No, you can't. God has preserved His Word throughout time. For 400 years, there has been one Bible, the only one you cannot copyright on this planet, and it's a King James Bible. You can argue with me all you want, but I'm not going to listen to you because I know the truth. Go read some church history. Track this bad boy. All the way back to Antioch. That's where this one comes from. Every other Bible that exists, every other New Testament that exists in the world today, you can track it back to one place, Alexandria, Egypt. Ain't nothing coming out of there in the Bible that's good. promise you, Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of sin. I'm telling you, that's just the reality of things. Verse, verse, verse number 20. Now then, because we've been given a ministry of reconciliation and a word of reconciliation, he's like, I've given you your mission and I've given you the tools that you need in order to fulfill it. Now, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. He says, look, this is what we're calling. This is like he's saying, this is what we're telling the world. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. That's your message. That's what you got to tell this world. They need Christ. They need the Lord. They don't need the internet. They don't need TikTok. They don't need Facebook. They don't need YouTube. They don't need that. It's lies. It's garbage. It's destruction. It'll drag them into a spiraling hole where they'll be searching for the, for the desires of their hearts. And you know what they're going to end up? Empty. Empty and broken. Why are young people killing themselves more so today than they ever have? Because you know what? They've been told that the world has all the answers. And when you go and you consume as much of the world as you possibly can, you figure out that it's a lie. And what happens is people are so filled with guilt and the devil says, go to the world, go to the world. It's like when a woman goes to an abortion clinic. And we go there and we'll pray. And the devil will yell in her ear, you look at what you've done. You can't have a child. You can't afford to have that child. You can't do this. You know you can't. There's only one solution. Go get rid of the child. Go get rid of the child. It's the only thing you can do. It's the best thing you can do. It's best for them. It's best for you. It's what you got to do. And they arrive, and guess what? There's people out there that are all cheering that message. And you know what? We're there, and we're praying. You know what they'll do? They'll take an umbrella, and they'll open that umbrella, and they'll block that person so they can't hear. They'll actually hold radios up to their ears so they can't hear the voice of someone saying, please don't do this. Please. That child's innocent. Please don't do this. And they'll get him in the door. And the devil's like, yeah, it's exactly what you got to do. This is the best thing. This is the best thing. This is the best thing. And as soon as it's done, and she walks out of that room, you know, he whispers in her ear, you rich, wretched murderer. You disgusting monster. You're a mother. Where's your natural tendency? Where's your love for that baby that you just murdered? They ripped it apart. 
And she leaves there riddled with guilt and destruction. And the devil runs her in the ground. That's what the world offers. It'll draw you to sin because it's the solution. And then once you get in it, it'll tell you how horrible you are and how worthless you are. But God, Christ said, I have come to give you life. You might have it more abundantly. Right before that, in John 10, 10, it says the thief cometh but to steal, to, to kill, and destroy. Right? That's the devil. That's his purpose. He's a liar. And the father, the father of it. Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How beautiful is that? God says, this is your purpose. So while you're going out and you're fighting these battles, I'm going to strengthen you and protect you, encourage you through your word, through my word. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And when the devil comes, if you'll turn to me, you know what I'll do? I'll reveal that lie for what it is. A lie. And I'll show you that with the truth. You see, we've been given a mission, a calling, a ministry. God described it as a ministry of reconciliation. God intends for every member of this church to be a minister. We're supposed to be ministering to our community. But see, not just this church. Every church. Every true believer in Christ. This is our mission. Ministers to the world around us. That's why we're here. With a singular desire, which is to reconcile mankind with their creator. With their creator. Now, we cannot do this at all. But God can do it through us. That's the key. The same way they're going into their promised land and they're having these victories and they're accomplishing great and mighty things that are amazing. It's not because of them. They just showed up. God did the work. And when you share your faith with someone, it's not you that's going to win them to Christ. If it's you that wins them to Christ, guess what? They're going to hell. Because if they just trust your words and you convince them because you're slick and you're smooth, man, it's not about praying a prayer. It's about a heart being broken before God. The, but Jesus says, no man come to the Father, but the, no one come to me, but the Father draw him. The Spirit of God draws people. His Word convicts their hearts. They realize they're lost, and then they call out to God, and He says, done. Done. Not a religious activity. Just a matter of faith. A simple choice. I turn from this world. I repent of this world. I don't, that's not going to be my solution. I turn from this, and I turn to Christ. That's it. A simple, a simple choice. Our directive our mandate is to, to share the truth. Verse number 19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So humanity is enslaved to sin as we speak. They are believing a lie as we speak. And there is only one way to be set free. And it's by giving them the truth. There is one truth, just so you know. There's not several truths. It's not the truth according to me. Well, this is my truth. This is my... No. No. There's one. And his name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father but by me. There is no other way. You won't make it religiously. You won't make it through being a good person. One way. The one thing that can utterly and completely destroy a lie and its power is the truth. And our directive, our mandate is to share the truth. But there's a, there's a caveat. Share the truth in 
love. There are people that will stand on street corners and scream at people the truth. But do you know how well that's received? It's not. It drives people away from God. For God so loved the world. Jesus came with a difficult message for people to follow. But the one thing they could realize is the fact that, listen, man, I, when he was on that cross, it was love that put him there. It was not the nails that held him to the cross. It was the love he had in his heart for humanity. He had the power to lay down his life, and he says, and take it back up again. He could have laid waste to the planet from that cross, but he chose not to. He was meek. Meek isn't weak. Meek is power under control. Though he could have destroyed the planet, he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. And we have a hard time forgiving our neighbor. Amazing. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him and all things, which is the head, even Christ. And this segues us to our last point. What happens here by sharing the truth in love and doing it the way God intends, he shapes us to look more like him, which is their obedience. The Israelites, because of their obedience, were restored by God's peace. Verse 13, 43, sorry. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. Now, if you will think back... And you remember way back, way back, way back when we started Exodus and we walked our way through, or actually started Joshua, way back in the beginning when they first crossed the, the, the Jordan River, what we found was that they camped at a place called Gilgal. Okay? Now, Gilgal was the very first time that they actually were, this is where they were circumcised. Remember, they waited three days, they were circumcised, that was a Gilgal. Then we saw also that's actually where they took the Passover the first time when they were in the Promised Land. Then when they were also at Gilgal, it's where the place where God said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get 12 stones, and you're going to take those stones, you're going to stack them up. This is going to be a memorial of God's power, of God's goodness, of God's blessing. So for the Israelites, listen, Gilgal represents consecration. It represents worship. It represents memorial. It is a very special place. What you'll find is there's never a battle at Gilgal. There's no issues there. This is a place a place of rest. We could say it's their home base. We could say it's their, their safe place. And what we see is that after their hard-fought battles and victory over wickedness in their promised land, that God rewarded their dedication with a time of rest. A time of rest and peace. Because we're getting ready to start chapter 11. Chapter 11, guess what? There are more battles on the horizon. The northern part of Canaan is rallying as we speak. There are battles on the way. For now, but for now, it's a time of rest and a time of peace. And listen, if you are in the heat of battle right now, right, you're right in it, you're in the thick of it, in your career, in your marriage, a hidden sin in your life, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're fighting, whatever it is you're battling against, can I encourage you that if you will stay faithful to God, that listen and allow him to bring the victory because it's not going to be you. You won't just fortify yourself and have the strongest will you've ever had. And this time it's going to work. The more you surrender to God, the more he can do it instead of you. But if you'll allow him to do that and bring you the victory, guess what? He will bring you rest. This has not got to be a struggle every day of your life that you're constantly feeling like you're worn down and worn down and worn down. Recognize we're the ones that keep ourselves in the refiner's fire. Why does the heat continue? Why does the struggle continue? Because you know what? Many times we're not willing to let go of the things God's trying to get out of us. 
And as long as you want to hold on to it, the fire will continue. And you know what? Sometimes you'll notice it gets hotter and hotter and hotter until you find yourself on your knees going, God, I can do nothing else. I need you. Only you. I can't do anything else. I'm done. I give up. And he's like, well, now. Now we can get to work. <laughs> what do you think I've been waiting on, you knucklehead? Man, how much more do you need? And that's when we recognize, like, man, God's working through these situations and circumstances. And he will give us rest. Sometimes, certainly on earth, he'll going to give us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I'll take care of the stuff you're stressing over. You focus on me. Give me your heart and let me work on the situations that you cannot do anything in. But also, not only will we get rest on earth, but God will give us rest in the life to come. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6-8. through 8, As Paul comes to the end of his life and the end of his ministry, he says this, For I am now ready to be offered. He's writing to Timothy, his disciple. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at, remember we talked about last week, that day. Talking of the second coming. He said, man, when I stand before the Lord, he's got a crown of righteousness for me on that day. And not only to me, only. Listen. But unto all them also that loved his appearing. God has it for others, believers like you and me. Have we fought a good fight? Have we kept the faith? You see, God's desire for us is that our story would be one of faithfulness to the end, that we would have a tale of triumph. That would be our story. Listen, the Israelites, who are a picture of the individual believer, by the way, in Scripture, if they can do it, so can we. Listen, we have the same God, the same opportunity. The window's open. The opportunity's here. Let's finish our course. And let's keep the faith. Because God has victory on the horizon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God, for the incredible things you've taught us today. Thank you for the truths that we can hold on to and live our lives from. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the examples you've given us. Thank you for the wisdom of your word, the ministry you've entrusted us to. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, look, you know what? I'm in the heat of battle. I am fighting right now for my life. Right now, there are issues in my life that I'm struggling with and I feel overwhelmed by them. Pastor, would you pray for me that I could get through this, that I could trust God? Keep those hands up. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm in the midst of a battle. Yes, 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 yes. God, would you work in the hearts and lives of my brothers and sisters? God, would you help them to surrender to you? God, you have a purpose and a plan for their lives. And Lord, even the adversities they face right now, God, you're going to use them for their good. And most importantly, for your glory. God, I pray that you'd help them. Help them to fall into your arms to give the battle to you. Show up on the battlefield, yes, but not to bring the victory, to witness the victory that you will bring. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be addicted to it. Help us to be to consecrate our hearts and our lives, Father, to cut out this stuff in our life that's not, that's not godly, 
Help us, Lord, to seek those things which are above, not the things of the earth. And Lord, may your heart be our heart. May we see the world the way that you do and be brokenhearted for the lost. God, help us, Lord Jesus, to be an instrument of righteousness in the darkness of the world we live in. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. With our heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, listen, I'm not sure where I stand with God. There are a lot of religious people that are going to bust hell wide open. I'll tell you that right now. Lots of people that call themselves Christians that have no clue what it is. This is a relationship with the Father, your Heavenly Father. Made way or made possible through the cross. It's not just believing in the cross. It's not just believing in God. The devil believes in God. The Bible says the devils tremble in the presence of God. They have an emotional response to God. They don't doubt his reality. They don't doubt his word. They know it's all true. But they will never surrender their hearts to him. And this is what God's calling us to. If you'll trust that Christ did what he did on the cross, that he loved you in the midst of your sin, and he wants to reconcile you back to himself, he's calling you right now. If you're watching this recorded, You're watching it online. God's calling you. And as he's calling you, all you have to do is surrender. It's like a magnet pulling on a piece of metal. That draw that you feel. If you'll just trust Christ, the draw will end once you become in contact with your loving Savior. He wants to reconcile you back to himself, and he's doing that through calling your heart. If you want to receive him as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. There's no ceremony involved. There's no magic prayer. God's listening to our hearts. If you're not saved, you're not sure, you have an opportunity right now. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It will not be the words because God's listening to your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sin. God, I understand that it has separated me from you. But also I understand that you love me in spite of it. That you died on that cross for me. If it was only me, you would have died. Lord, right now I'm asking you in the best way I know how. From the bottom of my heart, would you come into my heart? Would you save my soul? Would you give me a home in heaven? I give you my life and I thank you for who you are for what you've done. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven. I'll see you there one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still back.